0: This episode is brought to you by the Chronicle Protocol, a cost-efficient, transparent, and decentralized oracle. Chronicle has developed a next-generation oracle primitive called Scribe, which reduces oracle gas fees on L1s and L2s by over 60%. You'll hear more about Chronicle later in the show. All right, everyone, I want to introduce you to Bumper, a new DeFi protocol that is here to redefine how you protect your crypto assets. Obviously, market volatility can be a big concern for us crypto holders. Go check out Bumper. It's Bumper.fi. Take a step towards smarter crypto asset risk management. Santi, happy Friday. What's up, man?
1: Oh, not much. You know, I I think you somehow this This uh, conference virus was streamed through the Internet and reached over because I'm feeling some throat pain. And uh, Blockworks is hurting right now. I mean, we're, we're, we're down bad. Th- th- it, uh, I, I hate to say this, but if there's a way to short Blockworks, is the productivity oh, well you, you can't say that on the pod? Come I know, on, I'm, 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 I love you guys, but you know, productivity is down. If, if more than 80% of the company's no, down, productivity is booming. We're
0: ripping, <laughs> we're ripping. Yeah, we're just that. doing it with less people right now. We're uh, you doing the it. bronchitis, the laryngitis, and uh, whatever is, this, yeah,
1: you know. whatever it is. You know, there has been a spike in COVID. It's like no surprise everyone's like the kids are back in school, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but yeah. It's what that dynamic where like you're more productive when you're like very busy or just like yeah. you, you lose you, you yeah. So, anyways, maybe it's that.
0: We're almost two years into this bear market, um, from
1: like market tops. How how are you feeling about things right now? Uh it's very interesting to say that because that's the the thing that I was mostly focused on, just kind of reading the room absorbing the sentiment at Permissionless. Um, How am I feeling? Probably as important as how like I think the market is feeling. Um, But I do think we're entering this state of just apathy, kind of despair, desperation because- You think we're just entering it? (laughs) Well, not 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 entering it. I I mean, (laughs) look, we've been chopping around this range for a long time, I do sense some eeriness in traditional markets. Uh, Like uh, my, I just, if you're looking, I mean, this week has been terrible um, for general tech and just the stock market. Um, Like I've said it in prior podcasts, it was not on my bingo card to have a super strong year to date recovery of the NASDAQ, of the S&P. It's just, it's just been pretty impressive. I don't think it's been substantiated by fundamentals. Uh, Like I'm just really cautious. Uh, largely informed by people that I respect, like Stan Druckenmiller and others that have just generally been very honest about and open about saying it's been a very challenging environment. And then you go to a conference like permissionless and you talk to, you know, some of the folks that I was on the panel or just some of traditional builders or particularly allocators like in, in crypto. And they're like, look, um, business as usual. There's a lot of very interesting stuff happening in crypto. It's a secular trend. Like you know, there's, there's reasons to be really excited about uh, all this stuff, but a part of me can't overlook this idea that like anyone that's sub 35 years old has never invested through a persistently high interest rate environment. (laughs) And I think it has been my kind of thinking for a while that most people are of the mind that we're going to go back to a lower interest rate environment. Um, And I get it. There, there probably is, you know, whatever probability you're ascribing to, you know, rate cuts has been totally demolished over the last six months. We keep like pushing the bar. But more importantly, it's just this I do think that is regardless of rate cuts in the near term or in the medium term, I think that as an investor class, perhaps the biggest mistake that we could have done or I I could have done is not factoring in that we're not going to go back to another 10 years of record low interest rates. And how do you go from there? Not so much of where we are in the bear market. It's more of like that reset of like, okay, like, so what asset class? So what do we do? And how do you manage that? Juxtaposed with this idea that, I I mean, we're here, we talk about crypto, we are very much of, I wouldn't be, you and I wouldn't be wasting our time if we didn't believe that this was the best bet that you can make in the next 10 years. I think that probabilistically with high conviction and there's reasons to be really excited there's reasons to be not as excited there's a lot of frustration at times but yeah i don't know i mean this is from my as an investor yeah. that i'd like to get involved i like to talk to founders on on the daily but i am curious you as a builder you manage a lot of people you cover the space how are you feeling
0: we have different proxies, right, of growth of the industry, right? I, I can actually get pretty insightful metrics into like our analytics product with the on-chain metrics, but as a media company, right, we have podcast downloads, page views, newsletter subscribers, newsletter open rate. Um, but ad revenue, I think is a pretty interesting indicator of how actually not just we are feeling, but like the industry is feeling. At the bottom of their market ad revenue goes to an all time, goes to like a low, at the top of a uh, of a top of a bull market, actually, there's like a little bit of a lag in ad markets. Usually, six to uh, three to six month lag. Um, at the top, ad revenue is like you know everybody's trying to acquire new users. And the reason ad revenue falls at the bottom of bear markets is because uh, companies and protocols don't believe that any new users are coming into the industry, so they don't believe that they need to spend money on advertising. And for the first time in about four or five quarters, we're starting to p- see that ad revenue pick back up. And what that tells me is that founders, CMOs, CROs, kind of growth leads at protocols and CFI companies are starting to believe that either there's a new cohort of people coming into the industry or that... Maybe they'll be able to raise their next venture fund so they can allocate a you know or they'll they'll be able to raise their next uh their next round maybe because there's like kind of fresh capital coming into the venture space as we saw with blockchain capital's five hundred and eighty million dollar raise this week so I think the ad markets are actually a kind of interesting proxy uh for how folks are feeling that people don't really know and look at because who, who like I don't know but to, it, us coindesk like not many people have info mm-hmm. on the ad markets, so yeah. I think that might be a, a a number I'd throw out at you.
1: That's super interesting. I'd like to understand, the co- like, do you look at the composition of that revenue? Like, who is actually spending? Is it crypto natives? Is it CFI companies? Is it, like, some other random, like, uh, and how does that change in, at the top of the market, at the bottom of the market? Like, um, is there a meaningful change or is it always the same suspects that end up spending money, meaning, like, protocols and, and, and app and crypto native apps?
0: So it's changed over time. It is it used to be the here's kind of the evolution of, of, of big ad dollars coming into Blockworks. It used to be the in, the companies going after institutions largely because that was also Blockworks's brand, right? So if you look at the advertisers, they're anyone trying to pull AUM onto their platform not through retail but by reaching institutional customers. So uh, that would be folks who spent money with us to get in front of family offices, hedge funds. Uh, sovereigns, pensions, you know, RIAs, uh, financial advisors, folks like that. So those were like the big custodians of the world, right? The big kind of settlement layers of the, so fireblocks, right? Copper, Ledger, BitGo, Coinbase Custody, um, uh, Kraken Institutional, people like that, right? Those were kind of the big advertisers. Then we saw a shift in the bull market, which was the big advertisers and the big kind of money spenders were the big exchanges, right? Um, OKX, uh Coinbase, Kraken, uh, Crypto.com, people like that. Those were the kind of big spenders in the, at the top of the bull market. And now the big spenders are, uh, for anyone who's been going to these conferences, you'll see a lot of the protocols, right? Um, there were protocols at ECC, for example, who spent $3 million on site. And the are reason serious? for
1: that... The- which is Whether or not Ethereum that's a good use of money,
0: I don't know. But um, how much? but
1: oh, hold on, how much? Three million.
0: I did hear one protocol spent four million dollars at ECC. To what? Yeah. To do what? Side events, basically side events. So
1: here's what everyone needs in a bear. Uh So in oh, hold on. Wait, wait, I I I'm just really shocked. Maybe I don't know the I mean I know that the conferences can be lucrative. I'm just thinking I'm just thinking of the of the guy that <laughs> that massive thread of like of FTX and how uh, Sam's parents his dad was like you're only paying me and like demanded a raise for yeah. 1 million bucks per year. Like just disgusting stuff. But so of course we know the, that they chartered private planes to to get Amazon into the Bahamas. But 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 man like here's how ad markets work. At the beginning of a bull market, the
0: biggest advertisers and the biggest kind of cohort of people that uh, companies want to go after are institutions. Because oftentimes institutions kind of maybe kick off a new a new market, or there's this narrative, or like Paul Tudor, remember, May of 2020, or whenever that was, Paul Tudor Jones, Bitcoin's the fastest horse in the race. So then everyone wants to come after these institutions, they want to pull the institutional money onto the platform. All right, institutions come into the industry, m- market goes up, then who comes into who comes into an industry retail and consumers right so then the big spenders are like back you know in in the last bull market it was exchanges because they were like BlockFi or celsius or ftx or coinbase or crypto.com or whoever gemini they want to get all the millions of users who are coming into the industry onto their platform because once you onboard onto gemini you're not leaving gemini right it's like onboarding onto bank of america you're not then going to change onto wells fargo it's super sticky then that happens, and that maybe takes another eighteen months. Then we go into a bear market, and the number one but, advertiser but, but, in a bear market. But, but before we yeah. go there,
1: who's measuring the return on ad spend? Like, like okay, first of all, instit- my working assumption is that retail usually comes first. Like retail, all the crypto cycles have very much been retail led. Uh, you know, stimulus money and whatnot. Like all of like, but it's very much a retail phenomenon. When you talk about institutions you're the, say you're a chief marketing officer at like protocol flavor competitor to ETH that wants to spend a ton of money and just raise $200 million. And you're saying you maybe come from Google and you're a marketing guru. What kind of like marketing return on ad spend ROAS are you doing to justify spending millions of dollars? To what end? To convince Paul Tudor Jones to put money on Bitcoin? Uh, that guy yeah. is uh, not,
0: not to convince him to put money into <laughs> it. Yeah, no, I mean that's right. that's right. So, like, huh. here's the metric that we track for folks who advertise with Blockworks: MQLs. So, in a B2B SaaS, in a B in B2B SaaS, there are different metrics that matter. So, MQLs are marketing qualified leads. Those are the people at the top of the funnel. Those are the that is typically like a CMO of a of a of a SaaS company, crypto or not crypto, will have one metric that matters. It's MQLs, marketing qualified leads. How many leads are they able to pass to the sales team? Once you pass an MQL over to the sales team, a sales team will have an intro call with them. If they are a qualified lead, that becomes an SQL, sales qualified lead. And then that's when the the pipeline starts and you move it through the pipeline, right? uh discovery conversation that goes poorly movement out of the pipeline that goes well moving through the pipeline then it goes to pro- you know proposal presented then contract out and then in, or intent to buy and then contract out so what we help with is the is the mql is the marketing qualified right. lead right so if you are the cmo of bitgo you're like hey i have a 30 person sales team i've got to feed them leads um the we need to reach hedge funds interested in allocate in staking you can't run an inst you can't run
1: an instagram ad right or or like or like research or i understand like uh if you're a custodian you want to anchorage yeah that business i i I get it i get it
0: and then they have their ltvs right like they know the lifetime value of a customer so if you if anchorage if anchorage signs up um you know santiago or like you know when you were a pair I don't know what custodians you guys use when you're a Parify, but like they onboard you, mm-hmm. right. They're clipping a tiny, tiny, tiny percent of, of AUM though, though, though that actually the custodian model is changing to a SaaS model from a fee model. Yeah. And then they upsell you, right. They upsell you through trading fees and sure, lending, lending and borrowing and all that yeah. kind of stuff.
1: So, yeah, no, that I understand that segment of the market and that was my original question. Like I, I can appreciate how someone like Bitco, someone like Anchorage, like, tradi- like, Cfi, you remember that term cd yeah yeah those kind of players like exchanges sure but but i do see and correct me here if i'm wrong a lot of spa, a lot of spend from you know like protocols like you know like i don't know l1 of sorts and i i think i'd be really curious to understand because one sector that i've been investing in and thinking about is uh how do you stitch together a profile to understand um you know, basically like a uh, an AdWords, if you will, like just understanding like and stitching together, like to figure out customer acquisition and what type of marketing is effective if you're a protocol and how do you acquire the said users? Because, you know, they come from Web 2 and then they enter Web 3 and then there is a disconnect there to some extent. There's a few kind of like pro like companies that I've been looking at that are trying to kind of stitch together this profile of, of a customer uh but i think it's fascinating like uh and to be fair i'm not like dismissive of the category like i look I, at the end of the day no like, no i know what there's, you're a saying. Lo- there's a lot of flow there's you know you can look at it in slice in many different ways like the average crypto user nft like is is above like you know is, is fairly well off and has more fair. disposable income and it's a very attractive it's a very attractive cohort
0: let me, let me show yeah. you yeah let me show you this onto so like let me let's talk about the the, the roi of a protocol doing marketing so yeah, um let me pull up the base all right so this is the this is blockworks's analytics platform so you can click on base and you can look at the financials right so uh you can see that base right you can see the the fees so every day like here's the fees 200k in fees the cost to settle back to the l1 is you know on september 14th they did one hundred and eighty nine thousand in fees the cost to settle back to the L1 was eighty-eight thousand, so the profit was one hundred and one thousand. Now, what is driving most of this? Right? What is driving every, like th- this black line is profit right here? What is driving this? Well, it's friend tech. So then, my question, like the the question becomes, all right, well, what is the LTV of like friend tech? Like, mm-hmm. let's say, let's say you're let's say your base. Now, base didn't have to really do marketing, but let's say your zk sync or scroll or arbitrum or optimism. Like, what is the value? Of getting the two founders of Friend Tech to build on your platform, and that was probably a relationship-driven deal. But like, you know, at ECC, there's like, or at Permissionless, there's a lot of founders who are like, "Look, I'm I just moved, I just came in from Facebook. I'm trying to figure out which L1 or L2 I should build on." Um, and if and if you're Arbitrum and you're you've got the 40 by 40 booth and you are sponsoring Mm -hmm. the hackathon, like, it is more likely that a founder will
1: build on you. Yeah. So. No, I, that, that's a really good point, actually. Um, you know, it, um, there there is this idea of like, you know, v- I always think when you say that VHS, Betamax, like sometimes the best tech doesn't win. It's like the best marketer. In this case, you know, uh, VHS was a super, inferior product, um, by you know, and, and and but just you know had better marketing, had better visibility, had you know better presence. Um, so you know, ultimately it became the standard. And and I think that 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 decision tree of from founders, I think is very much real, and and I experience it. You know, obviously, I'm biased because I'm an investor in, in you know, some like Scroll and, and and Arbitrum. But you know, when people ask me, you know, I naturally direct them to, hey, go talk to these teams, right? Um, yeah. So, so yeah. There is,
0: um, let me read you this quote. So, there was just a huge study done on basically B two B buyers and. You um, or no, in SaaS, oh, in yeah. SaaS, actually. Um, but I think it applies. I think B two B, like I think they're very similar. Um, two thirds of the all right, two thirds of the time. This is this is uh this was one of the biggest brand studies ever done on buying behavior of B two B buyers. Two thirds of the time, so sixty six percent of the time, when a business decision maker purchases software, they already have a brand in time, and ninety four percent of the time if they do have the, brand, the a brand in mind, the buyer ends up sticking with that brand. Yeah. So like, I don't know, it's funny because it, like part of my job is convincing marketers that they should still spend on brand marketing in a bear market very hard. And I totally get why they don't do that. But like, if you're not part of the original consideration set, there's no way you're getting bought. There's no way they're using you.
1: So this is very real. Like actually, this was something that uh, I talked to a few folks in crypto uh, at the conference around yeah, there are very opinionated folks that just come to the table and they they don't do proper like RFPs. They just, they just kind of go with someone because they've there's that's, z- ha, that's it, how buying it, is, and you can't yeah. really justify. And, and it was like, all right, okay, well, did you consider X and Y? They're like, no, we just kind of wanted to do this. And I was like, okay.
0: It's trust, man. It's tr- yeah, It's tr- it, tr- really it comes down to trust. So if you do Especially this, 6% right? times 94. So that is 62% of all software buying decisions are being made with a brand that the buyer already knows, hmm. right? Wow. So that's why something like so. We did this, we sent out this survey after permissionless. <laughs> yeah, this is just turning into an ad for uh for Blockworks uh marketing, <laughs> but like we Ooh, we send never do that here, <laughs> we never do that, never, never do that. Um, <laughs> we sent out a survey after the conference and got a couple hundred people to to respond to it. And one of the questions was like, What's the most memorable brand huh. in your mind after permissionless? And no surprise, Front and it's center? the it's The big, it's the ones who spent a lot of money. I guess it's Kraken o- or Scroll. Uh, it was OKX. OKX was first. Oh, yeah, Crack, they, had,
1: they had that. Kraken had like a was, Formula One. Kraken was
0: second. I think MetaMask was third. They had a good name. And I think Scroll was like fifth or sixth. I'm pretty sure. To
1: which were, by all so, intents and purposes, the largest booths. So you
0: better believe, like, let's say there's an I don't know. Let's say someone wants, like, let's say someone wants to get off of, I don't know. I'm trying to toe a line here um cuz they all compete with each other but like yeah people are more likely to now use okx sure, who, sure. who went to permissionless so yeah
1: yeah the brain works in mysterious ways you get a sticker from a company that you put uh, by the way never put stick crypto stickers on your tech gear uh, uh for an opsec perspective folks okay. um <laughs> you know, know stay safe nonetheless uh, some of those are really cool like you want to put them on uh, uh, but Scroll i've ahead. seen laptops i've seen laptops yeah. like with bombard i'm like guys um you're yeah. at a cafe and you have every single crypto logo on your laptop. You best believe someone's looking at that, and you're a target. Best believe, so, so you're a you know, target. <laughs> <place>. <laughs> uh, but like, there's there, there's some good merch. Um, I've
0: I've a markets question right now. Like, oh, kind yeah. of shifting gears a little bit. Um, so you Sorry, guys, this is not
1: a marketing podcast, but hey, it was interesting. It's just shocking.
0: But, well, yeah. the, you you didn't join us on this podcast, but Antonio from Spindle came on, right? And Antonio helped build the ad market team at uh, at Facebook, and so you you should should go listen to that mm-hmm. podcast. Um, all right. So there's a liquid trade that's happening right now. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. It's been going into, on for a while. It's been going on for a while. So I, I said Lido in the, in the, in the Telegram channel, but it, really it's maker. Like, I, mm-hmm. so I just had breakfast with, um with that fund I was telling you about that, that is going to announce soon. And then, and then CoinFund, Coin Fund was there too. And uh, there's some other like kind of big crypto investors there. And everyone's talking about like what they call the most crowded trade in crypto right now, which is maker, And if you look back over history, the last at least five, six, seven years in crypto, kind of sustained positive repricing of a couple of altcoins oftentimes leads to this kind of market-wide rally because people get excited. They start chasing other things. And if you look at the beginning of this year, or maybe it was end of last year, but Lido and Soul led the way. And it was probably actually the beginning of this year, like January, February. Lido and Sol led the way. And then a kind of bigger market wide rally came. Now it sold off, obviously, but that's all right. So right now what's happening is people are flooding into this kind of crowded maker trade mm-hmm. pretty quickly. And maker's up like 30, 40%. Yeah, yeah. It's 30%. Um in the last couple of, I don't know, month or two. I haven't looked exactly at the charts. But um and I think a lot of that is because people are getting excited about, you know, Rune and uh really the sub the sub-DAO vision and stuff like that. I would just be curious how you when you see something like maker outperforming right how do you like do you start to think about hey is that trade over yet should I kind of pile into that do you say hey look I'm not going to pile into that trade but maybe this is a harbinger of this kind of coming market wide rally I should start to allocate elsewhere like mm-hmm. or you're like look I'm not touching trading I'm 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 staying away
1: from this game Well I think everyone in in crypto needs to somehow is forced into this liquid venture conundrum, which is you have to, you cannot overlook trading from a risk management perspective. Um, you know, it, even if you were a longtime believer in maker, you know, you constantly need to wake up and do this exercise of based on where things are today at this a particular price valuation. Would I from scratch build this portfolio again in the same weight? And in the same composition, and that's an exercise that probably some of the best advice I've gotten, and, and a framework that I take to heart. You wake up each day, not each, not each day, on a, on a some sort of cadence. To your point, so so yeah, like I pay attention to trading because if some if a position becomes a disproportionate share of my portfolio, like it's a it's a problem. I need to manage that risk somehow, <clears throat> and so but I don't, like, I don't like chasing these narratives. Like I do think that there is a probably half of the folks that are, or more than half of the folks are piling onto this particular trade as they have, they're the same kind of folks that pile onto these trades. Maker, for instance, it was very obvious on chain that the largest holders of MKR, A16Z and Paradigm were, were dumping it. They were sending it to an exchange. Usually people send coins to exchange is to you know dispose of them and they were pretty big holders and they were they've been for years uh, i think a16c led some of the earlier rounds and so as mkr started rally they started selling off i think they've told uh, they've and, and you and by the way what's so interesting about crypto is like you can understand the wallets if you're map if you're using an analytics tool or whatnot a lot of these wallets and then so you're saying, you're seeing exactly how the position that they have, right? Unlike like 13Fs, right? Where you see the retroactively what hedge funds did in that quarter in crypto is real time. Like you say, okay, you know, they have 10% of the supply and they, every day they're selling at X amount, which is X percent of volume. And so you're, you're seeing a seller in, in real time. And so that was part of what sometimes catalyzes hmm. these trades, right? Um, and, or like large unlocks and whatnot. For Maker also, I mean, we had Rune talk about the end game. It's a a protocol that is, you know, from a fundamental perspective. I mean, I don't have the figures in front of me, but it spits out cash flow. Uh, You know,
0: I think they'll do a hundred million in revenue this year. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure.
1: (laughs) Give or take. Right. And so and so if you look at what are the kind of the valuation of Maker, the market cap, what is it now? You probably have it in front of you, but uh, I'm gonna just. Point what if
0: Maker? So it's up, Maker's up 115 percent in the last year. No, the no market I understand gap, that. but I'm just ma- thinking the about the market cap is like one point, one point three, 1,
1: 1. Think- 1.2 billion. fully diluted, one point three, right? And so if it's cranking out 100 million of, of of revenue, you know, you could argue that it has some of the, you know, it's what 13x. 13x, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry to break it, folks, but you look at any tech name. <laughs> First of all, it is very interesting that, that you have like cash flow generative companies this early on in an asset class that is very much super early stage. Like go look at like Instacart, they just IPO, Uber, Amazon. I mean, these businesses don't are not cash flow generative. They don't have positive unit economics. But, but they've only survived because over the last 10 years, I go back to this, we had free money. They wouldn't have worked otherwise. And that's.
0: I have have a theory on those businesses. All all three of the ones you mentioned, by the way. I mean, like,
1: fundamentally, this is like. You know, no surprise, we've had Ban Foreman here, my, my former partner, he's a maker bull has been as maker of a, as a <laughs> as much as a maker bull as one can be. Yeah, yeah. Consistently. Well,
0: you guys jumped in on, on whatever we call that day, Black Thursday, right? Oh, God.
1: Yeah, that was fun. And we were very active talking to the team. And, you know, it's one of those things where how long are you willing to be patient? And this is a common <laughs> problem that you have in in particular in crypto where we're just liquid markets where... The Like MKR just grossly underperformed ETH and everything else for a really long time. And so did DeFi. DeFi started really underperforming ETH uh, even before, you know, there's some of rate hikes and everything else, you know, tumbled in, in November uh, of 2021, 20, 22, 22. And so it's really difficult when something like that in your face is just, you know, uh, underperforming. What do you do? Do you pile on? Do you buy more? Um, you know, you have your your, you know, it eat really eats at you. And so, I mean, is it a crowded trade? You could argue that at thirteen times PE, the real question is, where does that go? Like, where's the, those earnings go? Given the fundamental changes in the protocol in the end game and what may, in Rune has articulated, that's what I care about. Um. Why would, you know, Maker's business model is effectively allowing people to, you know, programmatically mint a stable coin, a stable unit of account called DAI, um, depositing a particular asset, said ETH, for instance, ETH. And that was really the novelty of Maker in a very volatile asset class. You want to borrow against your holdings, particularly in a bear market. Like Maker really got a lot of traction in the last bear market. That you could have looked at Maker, and that's where people really started to say, huh, you have an asset class, particularly ETH, that has gone down 80%. And this protocol has allowed people to borrow against that that don't want to sell because they didn't sell at the top to borrow and has maintained solvent in very adversarial conditions. Like, this is, this is pretty interesting. Like, you know, in traditional markets, something goes down 10%. The regulators step in and freeze the goddamn trading, (laughs) you know, banks collapse. And so that's when, actually, that's that's the real story behind DeFi taking off. Not not to like do, you know, history here, lesson 101. uh, But to your point around, yeah, I I do think that, is it a crowded trade? Probably. Hard to tell. Mm. But if you look at the fundamentals, you say, does it have more room to grow? Well, you'll be the judge of that if 13 times. If you believe in the quality of of those earnings, if you believe in you know macro does, there's high correlation, yada yada yada. But more importantly, I think it's the idea of, and we keep talking about use cases. That is a killer use case. Like the idea of borrowing against and and like the money market use case is very real. The defi use case is very real. Um, and and then you do a market analysis. How many people? How many more people do you think are going to show up to to, to mint? To borrow against their holdings, um, and are they going to be the preferred venue to borrow against those holdings? Do you believe in die? Do you believe in their you know multi collateral die which is a huge, huge controversy in this end game? So, anyways, long story short, I don't pay much attention into these things, is but it is an interesting opportunity if you, for instance, have been doing your homework on s- some assets whatever it is maker i always have a shopping list i have like literally i track like 20 names or so and add cut to the list and then i'm looking for catalysts and the best catalyst that i love is a force seller yeah like you see someone that's just for selling yeah
0: Yeah.
1: i'll clip i'll buy
0: when you have a shopping list do you put a price next to it yeah i have alerts okay and when you see that price all right, so let me let me just use Maker. I'm not saying Maker's on your list, sure, but right, right now Maker's trading at thirteen hundred dollars. Let's say you had a price. Let's say your right, Maker goes on the list. Then you're like, all right, well, what price am I a buyer of Maker? Maybe you say a thousand, a thousand dollars. There is a so price make, of ETH
1: where I will literally sell traditional assets. Load up the truck. I will sell my podcast equipment. I will back basically. Up the yeah, truck. I'll, I'll go to a pawn <laughs> shop and yeah. or even raise a fund.
0: What is that price of ETH for you? Sub a thousand. Sub 1000. Uh, not this or is a financial
1: investment of folks, this is just my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I, a, lot, a lot of the conversations, not to like, but a lot of the conversations I had with folks way back was like if ETH it, it, it hit like 900 or so, largely it's informed by the prior cycle low. And also, I think we've been holding and hovering around this trillion dollar yeah. aggregate market cap, which is, anyway, I triangulate to it. But I think ETH sub sub 1000 is something that I am. Quite interested in, yeah. Solana,
0: you think you think we get there this market? Oh,
1: man, you know this is this is try it try every it. single time. Take a shot. Take a shot. Look, I will say this: every single time that I think I'm not going to see an asset at a given price ever again. You know those like memes, like folks. This is the last time this you're going to see Bitcoin at thirty thousand or ten thousand. Yeah. I'm like, you could almost trade that to a T, and and be patient. So uh I'd be fooling myself if I were not paying attention to traditional markets, it's something that I've been paying more attention to. I appreciate it, it's not my strength. It's it's super hard. But it you have to pay attention to it. Like it feels fragile. And I do I do wonder like again, the biggest question is if we're in a persistently high interest rate environment, what's the appetite Where's the incremental user going to come from? You know, at this point, to me, it feels like we're sloshing around funds within crypto. And there's just a value transfer from one player that's already in the economy to another. I don't see many people coming in. Yeah. But, you know, the real, perhaps the question to you, which from your vantage point, like, Juan, a, how are you feeling about, you know, do you think we'll ever get you know, a soul sub ten, Bitcoin back at 10 K, uh, or 15k, like you know, not not to exactly say is it gonna be 15, is it gonna be sixteen, is it gonna be twenty, but what are the things that you're seeing that you would that that you know from a probability standpoint, do you th- think it's a higher or lower probability we see for instance for instance with ETH, do you think there's a higher probability of seeing ETH at 2,000? Or back at a thousand. Sorry, two thousand. Or back at a thousand.
0: Two thousand. Two thousand. Like, 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 yeah, hey, look, like hands, hands down, hands okay. down. Right. Um, the reason for that is because to get to what's what's ETH at today, fifteen hundred, sixteen,
1: ninety. Call it sixteen hundred. Fifty percent.
0: Okay, so the so the reason for that is because the only way it gets down to a thousand, in my opinion is if there's like something catastrophic that happens in crypto. So you could have a big macro drawdown, for example. Macro drawdown would pull it down to, I don't know, 1400, Mm -hmm. 1300, something like that. Things that pull prices down that strongly are FTX collapsing, Terra collapsing, uh, Celsius and BlockFi going under. Big colossal crypto inside the ecosystem movements that suck all the liquidity out Mm -hmm. and, 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 Mm -hmm. and cause a bunch of forced sellers. That I think is gone in crypto. I don't think we have like a lot of people like, I don't, believe that. We've washed out a lot. I think There's we've washed out all of the, from states, but, you know. All of that. Now, macro could get much worse before it gets better. The more, like the NASDAQ could go back down after having a decent start to the year. Like, And that would push, because crypto farther out on the spectrum, that would push it down. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you see. And I don't think you see that.
1: Just to put a finer comb on this, so it's like this would be a 25. To get to 2,000, you're basically a 25% rally. To go down to 1,000, it's like a drop, a 37% drop. So, you know, there's a bit more. There's a bit more, you know. But so again, the Nasdaq's up. What is it, twenty seven percent on the year? If if crypto has a three x, two and a half, two to three times beta, do you believe that the Nasdaq can't drop ten percent, twelve percent, give up some of the gains? Is the beta that strong to the Nasdaq? On the downside, I would Mm. think it's definitely, uh, I think it's two-ish. I mean, depends on, it's always depends on what kind of timeline you use, but it's fairly high. (laughs) Mm. I I hear your point though. I hear your point. Um, The other issue though, that is, we ought to oh, have, wait, I, I have one more well, question. Well, I, I was just going to say, we, oh, yeah. the, the thing that we ought to have is some of the, you remember, uh, Jenny, some of these traders, right? Because liquidity is very thin in
0: crypto. It's thinner. It's thinner now that the market it's, makers are all fighting on Twitter. Are you, are you so, you watching these, <laughs> these fights? So
1: we're back to like, we basically are back to like early days, very limited crypto trading infrastructure and liquidity. And so it, it takes, you know, these price movements can happen. Particularly in the absence of, of of robust liquidity, but anyways, I interrupted you were saying. Well, we actually
0: have the infrastructure. Unlike last time, we just now don't have the liquidity again. But um, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> sure. okay, so maker. So like, let's say you add maker to the list. This is how this conversation started. Mm-hmm. So you have maker on the list. It's at thirteen hundred today. Let's say you have a price target at a thousand. Let's say maker hits a thousand. Do you buy? And let's say you have a a mil or a hundred dollars to allocate. Um mm-hmm. do you buy do you allocate all 100 do you
1: go 20 bucks for 5 weeks in Depends on the magnitude of the drop some days um you pull the stash fund and and you you buy the full the full amount you like you you get filled Um but largely it's I I would probably reserve still some amount it just depends on the magnitude of the drop Um for me, I always feel comfortable. Like when there is a very big shakeout, I feel comfortable adding in a meaningful way. Historically, I think that's been, you know, served me well, but at times, yeah, you like, you know, (laughs) May of uh, 2020, that infamous day, like ETH went, like ETH dropped quite a bit and then it rallied a bit and then it just continued to go down. So you said it before the podcast. you want to catch a falling knife? I don't know. It's impossible, right? Um, but I just feel comfortable adding and lowering my my cost basis. So I, I in this environment, uh, I would want to hold some cash. I think it's different from an institution. Like if you're a fund, like most of the, most of the time they're allocated. They want to be fully allocated. Yeah. And holding cash is not something that you kind of do, right? Um but, uh, but yeah, like it is also a matter of what percentage of the portfolios is and what percentage of the portfolio do I want it to be pre and post.
0: All right, everyone, I want to introduce you to Bumper, a new DeFi protocol that is here to redefine how you protect your crypto assets. Obviously, market volatility can be a big concern for us crypto holders. Bumper alleviates this by allowing you, the user, to lock your tokens into the protocol and set a price. No matter how much the market fluctuates, your investment in your token won't fall below the predetermined value. When you compare this to traditional options platforms, Bumper offers a non-custodial and actually cheaper on average alternative that protects the value of your crypto from market price drops. If you are looking to earn a Yield on your crypto, Bumper has you covered. By depositing USDC into the Bumper protocol, you can earn a return which is derived from the premiums paid by protection buyers. Early adopters and Empire listeners have a chance to claim a part of the $250,000 early adopter bump rewards. Go check out Bumper, it's bumper.fi. Take a step towards smarter crypto asset risk management. This episode is brought to you by Chronicle Protocol, the best on chain source for cost-efficient, verifiable data. For anyone who listens to Empire a lot, you know that we talk a lot about MakerDAO. Well, Chronicle Protocol is this novel Oracle solution that has exclusively secured over 10 billion in assets for Maker and its ecosystem since 2017. And for the first time ever, super excited to share here that Chronicle's Oracle service is now publicly available for anyone to use. Compared to using other Oracle services, chronicle offers a 60 percent reduction in gas fees they have an unparalleled level of transparency at chronicle they offer a dashboard that allows anyone to track the genesis and trajectory of the data it provides marking this milestone in on-chain data availability chronicle is endorsed by a network of the most revered validators including etherscan infura gitcoin dydx and makerdao it is time For a paradigm shift in Oracle development, a future where data is verifiable, operational costs are contained, and the possibilities are immense. You can learn more about Chronicle at chroniclelabs.org. That is chroniclelabs.org. You want to run through some of the news
1: this week? Uh, Sure, yeah. Cool. Let's do it. Cool. We can go quickly
0: through these. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe like one takeaway from each story. So first story was blockchain cap raised 580 million pretty impressive uh, yeah very impressive so blockchain capital for those who don't know is the the largest running crypto fund i think correct me if i'm wrong one of the one of the longest it's been, la- long. been around for at least 10 years one of the
1: longest not the um, largest I think actually
0: 10 years 20, 2013 not the largest but the longest yes um uh bart and brad and i think brock pierce was one of the third founders as well but it's really bart and brad stevens um, yeah they raised uh, so 580 million. It goes into two funds. There's the fund six, which is their early stage fund, mm-hmm. and then what they're calling an opportunity fund, which is the later stage. Um, Some major institutional investors, a um, couple of big names names that were announced: Visa and PayPal. Uh, crypto venture right now is at an all time low. Um, excuse me, uh, th- uh, excuse me, it was a three year low. So lowest it's been since 2020 in terms of like capital that's flowing into crypto venture. So this is a huge raise, I would say. Um curious if you think the VC climate is changing I my understanding of like a little bit of the behind the scenes of this of this blockchain cap deal was that it was already rate it's been maybe this was the second close uh-huh. or yeah um,
1: that would that would actually be great to know because I spoke with this fund of funds and I mentioned the prior pod and they were like there's zero interest so I got to think a lot of the a lot of the fundraising in funds not just in crypto is as you said, a couple of closes, first close, second close, third close. So I had probably been in the market for a long like time. A maybe their yeah. target was a billion and they raised 500, but these are, I mean, I'd love to maybe have the guys on and, and give us a little bit of inside take on, on, on how the process went. And, you know, a lot of, maybe it was how much of that was existing LPs recycling capital. How much of that was new LPs was those family offices, endowments, where they come from, you know?
0: Yeah. Comment on uh, the YouTube video, tweeted us if you want If you want us to bring on Blockchain Cap on the pod, if that'd be interesting. Yeah. Um, one in- other interesting <laughs> note, and then we can move on from this news is uh, the late stage investing, kind of the Series C, Series D. So six hundred million is a huge or five eight a huge amount of capital. The late stage has been dominated by a couple of small, uh, a couple uh, a couple of very specific firms like Ten T who invested in Blockworks. Um, they've kind of dominated some of the later stage stuff, right? Because they can allocate like a hundred million, 200 million mm-hmm. into a company later stage, right? Kraken, Gemini, Ledger, uh, some of these really large influential brands where they need, where they're raising 500 mm-hmm. million. Um, the lead has to put in like 200, right? Or one fifty, And so interesting to see more folks get into that later stage. Yeah. It's a tough, play, uh, tough space to play in. Cause you need so much capital. So. Um, all right, next up, PayPal. So PayPal released uh, PYUSD, which is the PayPal stablecoin. They announced that it is going to be available on Venmo. So PayPal owns Venmo. I think they bought them for a pretty cheap, like $26 million several years ago. Um, they announced that PayPal, the PayPal stablecoin is going to be available on Venmo. Inside of the PayPal ecosystem, there'll be no gas, or they cover the gas, but user won't see the gas outside of the PayPal network. So right, if you have the stable coin on Venmo, uh, you want to t- send it to a friend on Venmo, no gas. If you want to send it outside, let's say you want to send PYUSD from Venmo to uh, your wallet and put it into Ave or something like that, there then uh, then then gas will apply. So yeah, that's huge. I think I, yeah, I do th- think that I think PayPal is kind of like this big behemoth of a financial services company, obviously, it's cool to see. I've always thought one of the problems with payments is that there's no interoperability between these brands, right? I'd like, like, like cash app and Venmo. Why can't I move my money between my cash app and my Venmo? They don't talk to each other. So this is a cool development to be able to, you know, if I could send money from Venmo into cash app into Robinhood into my TD Ameritrade account, like there, right now you have to send it almost back into your bank account. Not almost, Mm -hmm. you have to send it back into your bank account. It's cool if these things all talk to each other
1: i mean plaid in some capacity but
0: uh you don't send it to a plaid though plaid plaid is the connective no, no, tissue I, that,
1: that's right. my point yeah oh yeah, you, yeah. that's a connective so. tissue yeah well, uh, plaid it, ended it, up there, being but, valued at like a couple billion dollars i'm like guys uh you don't need plaid in uh defi everything is uh composability yeah. is a beautiful thing
0: yeah um plaid guys em- emory alum good people yeah um the number to look at is the demand demand for PYUSD right yes. now it's a whopping 44 million. So not much demand, I would say. Um, but we will we will see as uh we'll pay attention to this number as it goes on done. For sure. Yeah. Um other news of the week. What do you got for me?
1: Well, there's of course that huge uh what is it, legal document, dossier, whatever you call it, uh that came out detailing a lot of <laughs> juice behind FTX as it prepares to go to court um you know detailing a lot of the apparently sam's parents were heavily heavily so i didn't her. i didn't read this yet you oh, can God. you give yeah, can this you give is like that? A, this is like soap opera thriller this is your entertainment piece of the week folks uh you know i'm waiting for the documentary to come out like pretty pronto here but yeah apparently uh sam's parents are very renowned stanford professors um, Barbara and Joseph, I believe. Um, they, they were involved heavily. Apparently the, the big realization was they were very involved in the structuring and the operations, some operations of FTX. Um, the father of Sam, uh, there's some exchange between him and Sam and he was like demanding a higher salary raise. He was like being paid Bro, like his,
0: his dad was demanding a higher salary from. I think it was son. being
1: paid like one hundred seventeen thousand, or like not no, like seventeen thousand a month. And he's yeah, like, exactly. no, 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 I want a million bucks a year and something like uh, that. And like, so it was like, it's pretty interesting to see a de- like. Anyways, and then and then all the donations and uh, of course Stanford is returning. I think five million that was donated from FTX back mm-hmm. to the, uh, you know the what is it the trustee or so the. Folks that are handling the bankruptcy, um, yeah. So it was very detailed. I mean, it's a great threads out there. Um, there's like it's just it's just shocking to be honest. Yeah. Uh, there's one piece of news, as I heard you say, Ledger that I don't think we covered, but I believe one of the co-founders stepped down. But this was like uh, a couple of weeks ago, September sixth, I believe, is when he announced it. And I think a lot of it was just as a result of the uh, social recovery kind of fiasco if you will or just kind of drama
0: oh that's funny all right so i click this i click this article the seo hasn't updated so the google how it shows up in google is ledger co-founder bids farewell after after recovery fiasco <laughs> and i click and i click the link and it says Ledger co-founder departs to pursue project to onboard more users into crypto. So uh, some some editorial uh, brand I, w- I won't name change their change their title.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: I have the, I, I have actually what I think is probably the biggest news of the week, which is uh, Eclipse. We probably could have started this whole podcast okay. with Eclipse. Uh, Eclipse announced that it's launching their SVM Ethereum kind of Celestium L2 uh, on on mainnet soon. So let me try to explain this. I think actually folks should listen to uh, Mike. Co- other co-founder of BlockWorks went on Bankless and kind of explained how there's these three kind of converging um, ecosystems with uh, Cosmos and Solana and Ethereum. And they're all kind of looking over each other's shoulders saying, hey, look, I like what you're doing. Let me, let me kind of take a piece of that playbook and pull it over here. So one of the problems today is that the uh, kind of single-threaded EVM with global fee markets has put ETH L2s at a little bit of a a disadvantage to newer alternatives by kind of forcing developers to pursue these app-specific EVM chains, you get this isolated block space, but it really severely fragments UX and liquidity, adds a bunch of developer uh, complexity. So Eclipse launched, uh, Eclipse's mainnet, kind of what they say is they leverage the best pieces of the modular stack, right? So what they're doing is they're using ETH, they're using Ethereum for settlement. They're using the Solana uh, VM virtual machine, the SVM for parallel execution. They're using Celestia for data availability, and they're using risk zero for ZK fraud proofs. So it's pretty interesting to see this, right? Settlement is on Ethereum, uses ETH as the gas token. Execution is on, uh, execution is on, uh, uses the SVM, which enables, right, paralyzed transaction, execution, greater throughput. Uh, data availability is, is uh, provided by Celestia, offers higher bandwidth than Ethereum's DA uh and then the proving is using risk zero for zk proofs mm-hmm. uh evm compatibility is done using the neon evm which allows for right like i think my understanding is really easy deployment of evm smart contracts on eclipse so this is kind of what we're seeing here is like the best pieces of all of the modular stack coming together um been interesting to see the takes have been all over the place i think right some people are saying ETH killer some people are saying long soul some people are saying soul is dead because of this some people are saying look because of this news it's clear eth is eating the world Mm -hmm. solana tech is eating the world huge wins for l2s bad for l2s some think this is bullish for solana some people think it's not um i'd be very curious i can get into more of the details of this news if you want but would also be curious just to hear your thoughts on this
1: I don't first of all I, I don't think it's negative like an eth killer it's just why, why would it be an eth killer i just saw some dumb tweets <laughs> i would I, yeah i was like uh no yeah it's it's very interesting how it's
0: obviously i, I would say it's obviously not an eth killer The the, the mainnet it settles you, to ethereum uses ETH it's the same people that Zapp, say the l2s
1: are like cannibalistic l1
0: the sbm for scalability right it's right. basically saying We want to use the SVM for scalability, but we really want to leverage the security and the network effects of Ethereum. Um, So let's do that.
1: I'm actually really encouraged by this because I I think from a assuming that that you don't lose efficiency or the connectivity actually works by pulling and using the picking and choosing the best kind of parts of the stack to leverage for aggregate execution. I, I think it's a, I mean, it intuitively, and I admittedly haven't looked too deeply into it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The, the, the real, probably the, the critics might say, well, um, the execute, there's a trade off by doing that relative to a monolithic structure or a, I don't know, like, and so I'm, I'd be curious, maybe Mike or some other folks can, can have a more informed opinion on on, on how that, Execution by by doing all kind of this picking choosing of the best parts of the stack compares to like a what would you say like a monolithic architecture?
0: That would be the. Comp- I mean, the, the, Without, yeah, the, the, com- that would that? I mean, be I'm the, sure, sure there's other
1: comparisons you can make, but yeah. but like you you see what I'm saying. You c- would compare it against not using kind of the best of of all worlds and uh and seeing you know how that compares from a fee from an. You know, latency secure aggregate security standpoint, whatnot, but you know I think it's very encouraging,
0: yeah i agree i agree i think uh i i think the i think the 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 fud on Twitter was probably due to everything in crypto has had to either be good for ethereum or good for Solana or or good for something else and and then that inherently means it's bad for something else and it's a stupid or lose mentality just good. Yeah, this is good for this is good for both parties. I don't know, I think it's really cool. It's the first SVM roll up on Ethereum, right? Um I'll go back to Mike's conversation, right? He said soon it's going to be possible for an application to be built using the Solana virtual machine, using Celestia for data availability and settling everything back onto the the best security, which is Ethereum, and that's yeah. what you're seeing literally yeah. in real time right now. You so- know,
1: I I remember the <sighs> folks uh, have a short memory in crypto. Um uh, but this was a, like layer 2s And breaking composability composability was probably the buzzword of DEF CON in Osaka. This was before l 2 launched.
0: What what was composability? Breaking
1: composability.
0: Breaking composability. This was
1: like a thing. This was names of panels. People were talking about it. This is like it's going to really detract from the value proposition of Ethereum. And DeFi is going to break. This is peak DeFi, right? Or, Or DeFi was really taking off. And look, I'm not technical to understand how the internet developed, but my hunch was that the internet kind of went through this problem too of latency. And I asked the question to someone, it's like, uh, was like James Presswitch or some like so, someone that I think is very smart and said, didn't the internet kind of go through this? And it's not so much that you're going to break composability is kind of a bad term. It's just, you're going to degrade composability. You're going to like, it, it's a latency thing. And shouldn't we be focusing on improving latency? Like, or you can never improve it. Like it's just, you break in, that's it. Like, And I always felt in my uneducated mind, technical mind, that we pr- should probably focus more on thinking about ways and use cases that not all use cases require the same level of atomicity and, and, and execution, number one. So you could have different rollups, and then you can you can trade latency for lower costs. You know what I mean? Like if you're if you're playing a game and you're you don't need to settle that sh- instantaneously. You don't need using a flash loan for DeFi. Yeah, you're probably going to do that in the L1 because you're probably seeing some a crazy arb and you're sloshing around millions to clip a you know some sort of you know close the gap and profit. And it's an economic decision that is very clear to use the much more expensive highway that you're going to pay for but you can use the 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 non-highway non-toll route and pay a lower fee and and use you know uh, L2 cuz you don't care so much about this like composability you don't care as much about you know atomic execution um and a lot of the folks that I talked to back then in Osaka this was like 5 years ago like pre-covid we're of the mind that, yeah, we probably should think about that connective tissue between all these different chains. And I think that's, that's what you're seeing unfold now. Mm. Like yeah. there is a lot of tech. It is, there are so many different use cases. Like gaming requires different security than DeFi, than NFTs, than other potential use cases. Um and I think over time, the connectivity between chains is going to improve dramatically. And there's going to be a huge opportunity for, for, for a relayer, for instance, to, in the same way that you can do the instant checkout, instant, uh, when you're in Venmo, I think there's an ability to bring the money back to your bank account, right? And you can do instant and it charges you 5%. You can wait two, three days and it doesn't charge you. Same thing. Same thing. Uh, it's, a, it's a priority fee model this why, uh, in, in the gas, the way we think about gas, which is one of the things that I really like about Solana is this dynamic gas, um, that really is, is, is much more flexible. It's much more interesting and in, in how things actually like it's a, it's a market, but yeah. having a flat gas is, is really difficult when you think about all the different kind of varying use cases. But when you have a dynamic gas model, I think it's much more interesting, but we're getting, I suspect we're going deep in the rabbit hole, but, uh, but yeah, a lot to talk about. I think, uh, yeah, I think it's just a good place to end.
0: Yeah, agreed, man. I just, uh, Mike's walking into the room. I also room. probably man. saw
1: Mike kicking you out of the room. So Mike, Mike's to blame here, folks. Mike's uh, to blame. We oh, could have just, just, the reason why we're not leaking out you know Mike just, you know. You just,
0: can't give that to Mike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can't give that to Mike. Here, last thing, last interesting thing we we won't talk about. I'll just leave it in people's heads is uh, I feel like you're seeing all these alt L1s that haven't taken off recently go become L2s on Ethereum like kanto just did this mm-hmm. cello is becoming l2 on ethereum interesting to see yeah happen.
1: hey i want to get your thoughts next episode on the real world asset summit <laughs> didn't you go to that one yeah
0: i did go to that one
1: all right well we 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 will spare you two episodes in a row because we talked about real world assets on the prior it one it was
0: really good it was re- do you know that um there's a do you know that there's a rwa there's a all right so there's a company called figure which was mike cagney's company figure said that hey look we can bring our costs of settling loans down by like 80 to 90 percent if we put it on the blockchain uh we okay, were investors we're... at Parify. oh in interesting figure. okay so that was like five years ago they said that then they're going public like Helox so they spin and spin out like helix exactly yeah, 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 exactly yeah. so they had to spin out their blockchain they called it probably around you have been around the game uh, so they spun it out. They will do 30 billion dollars on chain this year. Of and the flow is basically users get a HELOC mm-hmm. from Figure. Figure puts that on Provenance. Provenance Promance
1: was the blockchain. Yeah.
0: Provenance is the blockchain. Um, and they on the other side of that, it's like Apollo and KKR yeah, and BlackRock. They, and Rocks they they've the been
1: streamlining costs in the back end. And so I met that. the
0: CEO of Provenance at RWA. I was like, that's pretty interesting.
1: This is a beautiful place to end because. When people question the use cases and that this tech is not being used, it's not so much that it's not, it's just you haven't heard of it. And that's the state we're on crypto because you feel that you're getting fed all the information in crypto Twitter and you feel all very empowered and smart because you're looking at friend tech and you're in the cool tech, but there's a lot of boring stuff happening behind the scenes like this. And, and I think um, it's, it's very encouraging. Like the cost savings are there. The use case is there and, and and it just makes sense. Like Good good and, place and to answer. Absolutely. Good, Anyways, good folks, job. have a great weekend. Um and we'll see you here next week. Too, so. I am being more active on the, on the comments on YouTube. It's like, uh, I'm more active on YouTube than I am on more Freightly. active, more obsessed. I I'm more, I don't <laughs> no, no, no. I'm active. I'm actually not on frantic folks. Uh, I am active on YouTube. So, uh, <laughs> you know, go, go drop some comment there. I'll, I'll be, I'll be lurking in the comment section. Dude, you, gotta <laughs> respond, you gotta respond to these. The reason I don't. know, no. I'm going to interrupt here because I remember thanks to one of our listeners who posted on YouTube, who reminded me of the bet that we had made of who had the most followers. No,
0: this is not, this is not a real hold bet. On. Listen,
1: <laughs> hold on, hold on. We have our witness, Joseph, uh, here, uh, who's our fantastic producer in the back end. He does fantastic work. He also confirmed this. J- uh, Yano said that he would shave his head if he had less users than I did upon permissionless. And that was the case, <laughs> folks. So one, of, one or the other, or he shaves and then he just kind of like comes on bald which I think might be the reignition of a true bull market. We need that bald energy, like, you know, Brian Armstrong kind of stuff. We do need that. Bald is back, baby. Bald is back. Yeah, I'm, not, bald I'm never going to do it because, first of all, I would never make a bet that I would not win. Um, Hopefully. Oh, <laughs> <but, please. laughs> no, I'm kidding. I've lost many bets in my life. But more importantly, we could also live stream it. So if you want us to live stream Yano. <laughs> what is on- this? Like it would be kind of nice if you're be- being Shay, like, like just like Mike can do it or someone can do it, and then we talk about crypto while we're while we're doing that. I, I Oh yeah, yeah, is that, like that, that great, would like be like, I, like I, this is, I would me. I would be willing to do a double or nothing where that might be the most viewed episode of Empire if we live stream you being like you know you're like being you know I think that would be All the right, most well, viewed episode, and I'm gonna go double or nothing on that excluding eric Bohr, he's like you know permissionless we're wrapping i'm over time all right folks okay time to cut it out uh Cheers, folks. see you here next week have a great weekend